Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you this morning. I'm so thankful you're here. I'm thankful that we're continuing this morning in the book of Judges. We're a little past halfway now. We've got a couple more weeks together uh, left in this series. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, I know it will be this morning. God's word never returns void. He's got a wonderful offering for you today. And uh, it's been a blessing to me this week just considering... Uh, we're, we're, we're entering into this phase of Scripture where you're probably a lot more familiar than you've been in weeks past. We're about to begin the story of Samson, which is a story that even outside of the church people know. They're aware of this guy. Uh, but interestingly enough, he's not the centerpiece of the beginning of his story. The title of today's sermon is, What's in a Name? What's in a Name? Because more than anything, God is revealing himself in this passage. That's what this thing is all about. Now that statement, what's in a name, was something that kept popping up in my mind as I studied the scripture. There's one piece of this, you'll see why. But that comes from uh, Romeo and Juliet, believe it or not, from William Shakespeare who once wrote, what's in a name, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. That was Juliet speaking of her, her, her man, Romeo. Now I'm not sure I totally agree with her logic on that. Uh, Her parents certainly didn't, and uh, indeed the Bible has a lot to say about names. Names are pretty important to God. Proverbs 22 said, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. A favor is better than silver or gold. God cares a lot about His name for sure. Now we all have names. They were given to us by our parents. We didn't get to choose those. I don't know if any of you are angry about that. If you got a name, you're like, why that name? My, my wife sometimes is frustrated because her parents named her Christina, but no, none of you know her by that name. Her, Nicole is her middle name. And that's what her mom wanted. She did that to all of her children. I wouldn't recommend that. That seems frustrating. Every class she was ever in, they would save Christina, and she just was absent because she wasn't aware that, wait a minute, that's me. We all have names. Do you know the most popular names of last year? The most popular three boy names of last year. Liam was number one. Then Noah, then Oliver. So if you're thinking about naming your kids this year and you want them to stand out, those aren't the ones. All right? You're gonna, there's like hundred, there's, there's several thousands of these. All right? There was over 20,000 Liams born last year. For the girls, it's Olivia, Emma, and Amelia. In fact, Eight of the top ten ended in uh. I don't know what's up with that. Emma, Olivia. Okay. I'm very thankful this year I've dropped down to 78th. Jonathan has fallen quite a bit. And me personally, I'm happy about it. Because we were top ten in 1985. There's a lot of Jonathans rolling around in their 30s. And uh, it was pretty frustrating in class. And my poor wife dated a lot of other Jonathans even before me. She got the best model. The the 85 edition, not bad. (laughs) We'll be introduced to a lot of names today. Four of the four final judges, in fact. Three of them are what you call non-cyclical judges. That sounds really fancy, but what that means is they're very briefly mentioned and you don't see this cycle of Israel going into sin and then repenting, which we've seen again and again throughout Judges. The first three, their names are pretty unfamiliar. I doubt you've ever heard of them. Ibzon, Elon, and Abdon. They just are a, they're, they're a shot in the pan in our text. And then the fourth one everybody's heard of, his name 
is Samson. But none of these characters are the key character of today's reading. In fact, none of the main characters really are other than the one Lord and Jesus. He's the main character. And that's going to be interesting for you to see. There's a, there's a father, Samson's father, Manoah, he's mentioned. His mother's mentioned and never even given a name, which tells you, for instance, that the priority of this scripture isn't the names of these people, it's the Lord. And don't be you know, upset when in your story, this is a side note, but in your story, you're still not the hero. I know that might be frustrating to some of you, but it's always going to be true. The hero is Christ. God is the centerpiece of your story. He's the centerpiece of the story. And you're a character. And maybe, like these three dudes who get just a shot, I'll take that. I'll take that. If I'm a glimpse, hey, there was this Jonathan. He did some good stuff. I'll take it because Jesus is the hero. What about your name? You think God knows your name? We all love, we love to be called by our names. We prefer when we meet people that they call us by our names because it has something to do with the fact that we know they recognize us. They're starting to know us. We're not just a guest. We're not just somebody uh, that's passing by. We're actually known, and guess what? God knows you. He knows your name. He knows you better than you know yourself, and that is going to be wonderful news today. As we dig into the book of Judges, finishing off chapter 12, getting into chapter 13, the Lord here sends an angel to reveal to a barren woman, which is a, a popular story I think God really likes to do. He, he, he reveals himself to a barren woman and her husband and tells them that they will conceive and bear a son and that this son will save Israel. Now that might sound extremely familiar. God does that a lot. He has foreshadowed Jesus over and over and over again in the Old Testament so that the people would be expecting him when he arrived. Some did, some didn't. But we look at it and go, wow, what a good comparison. We can learn much about God from this revelation, this revelation he gave to this couple. And we can learn some things. The text, I believe, will give us three extremely clear revelations of God to us. So here we go. Let's read the passage together. Not nearly as long as some of our last few weeks. So I know that's sad. I know you love me reading. That's your favorite part of the week. Judges chapter 12, finishing off verses 8 to the end. It says this, After him... Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave them in marriage outside of his clan, and his 30 daughters he brought in, uh, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel for seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried in, at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Ajalon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon the son of Hillel, the Perithonite, that's a new one, judged Israel. Perithon's a place in Ephraim. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons. They all rode donkeys, 70 donkeys. There's a donkey fest going on in the book of Judges. I don't know if y'all have noticed. This has something to do with the fact that he has started some sort of dynasty, which is probably not a good thing. And he judged Israel for eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Perithonite, died and was buried at Parathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So those are those three judges briefly mentioned. Some, like some of the rest that we've seen, there's been six of these. Shamgar, these three, and there was two others in the mix there, Tola and Jair. They had cool dad names, remember that? All right. So the birth of Samson, very interesting story here. Verse 1 of chapter 13, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the, that's the thing, that's the marker, you've seen that, this is the sixth time we've seen that. 
And so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That's new. By far the longest time. Double the longest before. There was a man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and, and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, she said, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and and he did not tell me his name, but he said this to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine nor strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God who you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Now y'all might fault poor Manoah here, but his wife comes extremely excited I don't know if this is like this for the other men in my congregation, but if your wife gets really excited, she tells you a lot of details really fast, and you're going, I don't know how much of that is true, or if like you, that was an impression to you. Maybe your husbands do this to some of you wives. I don't know. This is what I think's happened in old Manoah here. She comes like, whoa! He came, and he, he said all this to me, and he's like, whoa, 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 slow down. And, and, and eventually he's like, God, can you, can you send him again? Because I'm having a hard time. <laughs> Believe in everything she's just told me. First of all, she said he was a very good-looking old, uh, man of God. I'm, I'm not sure about that. He was magnificent. He was very awesome. I thought I was awesome. Anyway, he's like, God, come back. And you know what? This is a great passage. Verse 9, it says, God listened to the voice of Manoah. Listened. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. Now, here's God I think has a sense of humor. Manoah prays, hey, come back to me. And he yet again appears to the wife. You're going to have to chase me a little bit, Manoah, just so you know. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the, the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now, when your words come true... That's pretty good. He's believing. What is to be the the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I have said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said then to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a, a young goat for you. That word detain might sound Weird. He's inviting him in. Come stay with us for a bit. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. This is great. (laughs) And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. 
So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife, pretty wise here, says to him, You know, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands. Or shown us all these things or announced to us such things as these. Why would God have done all that great stuff and told us all that great stuff? He's, he was going to kill us. That makes no sense. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. God bless the reading of his word. Amen? Okay, wow. What's going on in this? Well, here's the first revelation about God that we see. That is that God himself, he sees us. He is the God who sees us. This is incredible news. This is what we have seen again and again and again, but I feel like there's more emphasis on it here in this, this piece of Scripture. We have, And every time that the, the Israelites have, have done evil, it always says they have done evil in the sight of the Lord. He is aware of their iniquity. He is aware that they are fallen, that they are far from Him. And what's really unique about this particular story, I would encourage you to go back and just glimpse at everything we've read so far when it comes to these uh, Israel has gone back into sin. Every other time, all five other times, eventually they get to a breaking point. Whether it's six years or once it was 18, once it was 20, they always eventually cry out, God help us. We are wrong. We have forsaken your name. That's the repentance cycle. Guess what? You don't see that here. That's a scary place. That the generations have passed long enough that they have separated themselves long enough from God that they no longer even know who to cry out to. No, no more do they know to come to the God of Israel and say, you know what, we've messed up, help us. No, they seem to have accepted their oppression. They've accepted the fact that they're in trouble and there's no crying out. But guess what God does? He sees them. He sees them and he sins. He sends help. This, this story is so similar to the story of Jesus. Now, Samson himself has many flaws and we're going to see that. He's a broken man. But God uses him. Jesus, however, is the same type of deliverer that God sends in spite of our crying out. <laughs> because there is no crying out at the turn of the century. Yes, they're crying out, oh, save us from Rome, reinstitute our kingship. But they're not crying out for a savior. They're not crying out for the one that God would send. And the people here have accepted their losses. And God sends anyway. He sees them. Now you've got these Three non-cyclical judges. And I just want to briefly mention them. Here's what one commentator has to say. He says that Judges 12, this last section, records that the last of these judges are not, not necessarily ideal. They're, they're, not, they're a far cry from the ideal judge like Othniel, who we started with, or Shamgar. 
It seems that Ibzan is using his position to make these marital alliances. You see that he took daughters from outside of his clan. He, he, took, he gave his, his daughters away to other clans to make these alliances. You've got Abdon with this three generations of... It's like he's deputized his sons. They're going around in donkeys and, and, and their grandsons too. Maybe he's given them a certain amount of power. He's trying to rule the nation like a king. That's why the indication often in Scripture, and maybe you've caught this before, if they have a short reign, it means God has limited them. Uh, in fact, if you look through both the judges and into the kings, you'll see that 40 years is like that good marker of this was a good man. This was, he may have had flaws, but he was a good king. Kings like David, kings like Hezekiah, kings like Solomon, who was broken in his end, but they got a lot of time. That's an indication that God gave them. These men, however, did not receive such reign. And then Israel does again what is evil. And the Philistines have now, have now really come on the scene as we dig farther into Judges. And if we were going to continue into 1 Samuel, we covered 1 Samuel some years ago. The Philistines are the problem. They become the problem for years and years to come. Now, I'll pop up a map here for us. I know this is a little bit small, uh, but if you'll see the Mediterranean Sea on one side, the Philistines are down there in the south on the sea uh, there, in the, really up against the nation of Judah, Simeon, you'll see down in the bottom south there. So that is, this is a people, that name Philistine li- literally means immigrant. These are not Canaanites. These are not people who grew up in the land. They have come here, almost like ancient Vikings, if you will. And they're a warrior race. They are a warrior people. They're very advanced in their warfare. Another place in Scripture describes them as having iron works, which most of the nations there did not have. So their ability to wage war was superior to Israel. Israel would absolutely need God in order to have any defense against them. And in this moment, that is not who they are. They are far from the Lord. So now 40 years of oppression. Then what we see all throughout 13 If you want to have some fun, if your Bibles are open, mine, the ESV at least, it shows the word Lord in what what you would call small caps. What that indicates to you is every one of those is Yahweh. Every one of those is God's most holy name. I am that I am, Yahweh. And 19 times it appears in this text. We don't know who Manoah's wife's name is. We see a little bit about Manoah, but you know what we see a whole lot of? Yahweh. What is in the name? What is about that name? Well, he says that name is so wonderful. He comes and he appears to Manoah and to his wife, to the angel, and through the angel of the Lord, and he says he's going to take the Nazarite vow. I see you, woman. I see you. Look at that. He's not somehow missing this. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you're barren. I have noticed. And I'm going to do something amazing through you. But you're going to have an interesting start. You're going to begin taking the Nazarite vow, and he's going to have it his whole life. Now, we're not really familiar with that. If you've been in this part of Scripture, you've run across that before probably. You've heard this Nazarite vow. I remember as a kid thinking that had something to do with Nazareth. It does not. They're not related. They do start with a similar word. But the Nazarite vow is actually in the book of Numbers. 
chapter 6. And it was intended to be something you did on a special occasion perhaps. Maybe for several weeks, maybe for several months to set yourself apart for God. And these were the guidelines. You wouldn't drink anything from the vine. You wouldn't eat anything unclean. You wouldn't shave or cut anything. There were these kinds. You wouldn't touch anything dead. Uh, That's, I don't think, mentioned here, but it will be. And so there's several things, and you would make this vow before the Lord for a season. And then Numbers then goes on to describe what it looks like to now relinquish that vow and go on about normal life. So Samson is very unique. First of all, he doesn't get to take this vow himself. God tells the mother to do it. She takes it while he's still in the womb. And he grows up his whole life under this vow, which was normally intended for short time. So he's unique. He's devoted. The word Nazarite, nothing like Nazareth, it actually has, the, it means consecrated. It means devoted. It literally means untrimmed. And the requirements are all there in number six, if you're curious. God sent an angel to encourage her. He sees her. He sees the people. He has observed their problem. Even though they have not even cried out, God is watching Now, this is incredibly encouraging news, and I could take you to some other passages of Scripture to clarify this, although I've got a lot to cover already. But God sees us. He sees even the struggles we're going through that we haven't even mentioned to him yet. He's not oblivious to any of this. And sometimes God is even working behind the scenes, working wonders in our lives on on things that we've been struggling with a long time that we didn't even realize was, was a problem. Something that was underneath that was causing such a struggle. He's been digging on that for a while. And which causes us maybe the prayers we've been praying, we think God's not hearing those, but he's actually working on something deeper and harder. And sometimes we go through a valley. Sometimes we go through barrenness. Sometimes we go through struggles so that God could work on the thing that he sees that's really the problem. God sees Hagar. He sees her. This is the concubine of Abraham who bears a son, names him Ishmael. Ishmael means the Lord hears me. Genesis chapter 16, it says, So she called the name of the Lord and spoke to her, who spoke to her and said, You are a God of seeing. The God of seeing here is El Roy. For she said, Truly you have seen him who looks after me. God sees all, he's omniscient. Proverbs 15 says that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Now, I watched this movie when I was young, and I bet a lot of you have seen it. Uh, I was this, I don't know if this is weird to you, but I've always been a big Jim Carrey fan. Um, I don't know if that's strange, but I used to like to do his, his gimmicks, you know, try to do some of his jokes. I've got a malleable face, so I can do a lot of his stuff. And my grandparents, every time we would go visit them, all right, do the mask, do the mask, and, and I do all that cool stuff for them, right? They loved all that. It was a routine. That's, that's how we used to entertain our parents. I, our kids are boring, man. They, 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 now, anyway. Entertain me. That's what my parents did. Y'all get down on the floor and do something. Okay. There's this movie that he was in, though, when I was younger called The Truman Show. And I thought about this this week that, that there's a lot of problems with that movie if you've seen it. Like, there's all these people, but there's this, like, mastermind that's watching in, and, and he's controlling these features to make sure that Truman kind of stays in line. And as Truman begins to figure out that, wait a minute, I'm in a bubble. Wait a minute, there's, this isn't right. Something's outside of this. 
He begins to manipulate him and to keep him inside. But this, this idea that there's this, this mastermind, there's something over top that's watching in and controlling, a piece of that is true about God. But what's, what's really great, what's the greatest perspective here is that not only is God watching, not only is God listening, but he's interacting, he's sending. And greatest of all, the greatest news of all is that he sent himself and took care of the greatest oppression that we were dealing with. And so, yes, this is a foreshadowing. He sees their hurting. Guess what? He sees yours. And he's done an incredible work already. And you have a part to play. You receive it. By faith, you receive it. Have you ever been oppressed by sin for so long that you began to not even notice it anymore? That's what they're dealing with. Are you feeling unfruitful, feeling adrift, feeling without purpose, just going through the motions? You're not alone. The people of God have been there. Your neighbors have been there. Maybe you're there now. The one name whose name is wonderful, he sees you. And he sent a Savior for you. Here's the second thing. And I think you'll kind of figure out where I'm going with this. He is a God who sees you. He's also the God who hears you. He's the God who hears you. Now this, I bet, is good news to some of you today. Some of you have been praying about some stuff and you're not so sure if he's listening. Maybe you've been praying about some stuff for a long time and you can't see it yet. These people, I can assure you, I bet Manoah's wife has been praying about this for a very long time. You know, barrenness even today is, is a stigma. It's a difficult thing for families. We've had families in our church and in, in our Wilson campus church that have gone through this through, who, who could just flat out not have kids for whatever reason, medical, whatever the reasons were. And it's still an extremely difficult thing for a couple. But in this day, it was even worse. It was even worse because a wife, like one of the greatest blessings that she could give to her husband, but also to the very culture that she was living in, was children. This was the thing that she could do that no one else could do. It was the greatest blessing. And so to be barren was such a tremendous difficulty in that day. And so I guarantee you, she's probably been praying about this. Unfortunately, she's probably been praying to all kinds of gods about this. You know what? God sees that in spite of that. She, God hears her in spite of that. And you know what? God even hears the prayers they weren't praying. <laughs> he hears their real heart, which is, we're oppressed, we're in trouble, we don't know what to do about it. God listens. That's what it says in verse 9. Shama. God heard. He listened to the voice here of Manoah. In verse 9, Manoah's like, please come back. I want to hear it for myself. And to, Mo, to Manoah's credit, he wasn't interested in his own ideas for the life of, of soon-to-be Samson. I mean, i got to admit, a lot of us as parents, myself included, we kind of have an idea of what we would like our kids to be. Like, I'd really like, I'd like, my, I'd like my kids to be athletic. I'd like them to be good-looking. I'd like them to be healthy. I'd like them to be, you know, I'd like them to get along with other kids, not be the weirdo in the group. We don't always get what we want, people. I mean... And we want all these I hope they go on to be successful. And I would love for my kids to be in ministry, but you know what I really want? I want them to do the thing God has designed them to do. I don't know what that is yet, but I really want them to live into that. Whatever it is God has uniquely shaped you to do, do it for Him unto His glory to the best of your ability. I would be thrilled. So I have these ideas. Some of them aren't godly necessarily, but I'd like for my kids to have lots of friends. These are okay things. 
It'd be good if they were good at something sports-wise. I love sports. Come on, God. They're decent. You know what, though? To Manoah's credit, that's not what he's interested in. The angel does reappear. The angel does come back and says, and Manoah says to him, you know, what is it that, what is it that you want for the life of this child? What is, what is the mission of God for this boy? That's a really great thing to say. I don't think Manoah gets all of the, he certainly has some failures even in this story, has a perspective of God that God will just take him out for having seen him. That's, an, that's, that's not quite it, Manoah, but he does get this part right. God hears us when we pray. And this is something I've struggled with many times in my life. I'm still wrestling with it. It's like, why does sometimes it seem like God takes a long time? What is he trying to teach me even in those quiet times? Those long, quiet times. What is he trying to teach me when the thing I prayed, he does, but in a way that made no sense to me at first. What is he doing in those? It's like he is constantly working on my trust. He is constantly working on, okay, Jonathan, you're mine, but... Do you really get me? Do you really know me? Know my character? Because the way in which you're praying shows that you're not quite getting it. And maybe that's where we are. But he hears us when we pray. The Apostle Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 3. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, he hear, he had, he, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God hears us when we pray. He hears the prayers of the righteous. He heard the prayers of Hannah, which is a story we're pretty familiar with. And Hannah names her son Samuel. Samuel is what we say, but it's Shema El. Shema means hears. El, God. This is the listening God, the God who hears. That's the name Samuel. If you've named your kid that, he's the God. He's been named after the God who hears. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says, In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. And she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. You know, God hears, but he does not always respond in the way we expect. And I know this, church. I'm, I can look around the room, and I know what some of you are praying about. We've spent enough time together now that I know what you're praying about. On some levels, not every level, there's stuff you're dealing with I don't know about. But the big stuff, we're aware about as a church together. The sicknesses, the, the, the distance that some of our kids have wandered. Uh, the pain that some of you, the anxiety, the depression that some of you, I've heard. We've prayed about these things together. And for some of you, those prayers have gone seemingly unanswered. Some thoughts on this for a second, though. Some thoughts on this that I'm wrestling with, too, and I haven't figured this out. I think this is the joy of following Christ is we're learning as we go. We're hopefully looking more like Jesus every day. God doesn't answer all of Manoah's questions. He just doesn't do it. Look what Manoah asks. He said, what's supposed to be the manner of this boy's life? What's his mission? Look at the angel's response. He simply does not answer that at all. He just reminds them, you know, I told all this to the woman. and Here's the guidance. Take the Nazarite vow. She needs to start it now. God, I kind of, you know, I don't know if you heard me. That's not what I asked. Not what I asked at all. But to be fair... The angel had already told the woman his mission. He's going to save Israel. Not Manoah wanted the details. Don't you want the details? Isn't that, isn't that what goes wrong in prayer with God? It's like, okay, God, I'm believing that somehow you're going to work this out, but can you kind of just give me a glimpse? Show me how you're going to do it. He just often doesn't do that. 
Now, I've said this before, and I still hold that there might be some truth to this. If he showed you all the details, you might run and tuck your tail and, and, and not come back. Like if he, if he said, you know, hey, Jonathan, I, I want you to go plan a church up in Rocky Mount. Okay, what's that going to look like? Some of it's going to suck. Okay. Some of it's not going to be so great. Uh, some of it's going to be, uh, yeah, you're going to be broke a lot. Oh, well, huh? Well, I kind of expected that part, Lord. Like, if he'd given me all the details, like year one, and, and some of you have been on this journey with us, and every one of the people that has come and gone, God has blessed us with and God has sent them. I can really say that with, with confidence. That is a joy. But every one of those people that we've sent has left us with less. And then we replace them, and you guys are growing, and, and people in this church that weren't serving seven years ago are serving in ways that we couldn't have seen. But that first year, some of you were on that journey. I had a worship guy. He was like my right-hand man. He went off to seminary. He's at another church now. Hallelujah. Hey, God, I, I, heads up on that next time. Like, thought that guy was going to be with me for a while. We've done that a lot to worship people. I'm, I'm kind of hesitant with worship leaders. Like, if I give you that role, you, you're just going to leave. So um, that's a joke. That wasn't funny to anybody. But in my head, in my head, it was kind of funny. Um, We've sent a lot of our worship people forward. And God has, has really blessed our ministry in sending. We've sent some people that, I, that we've all loved. And I'm thankful for those who have stayed. And I'm thankful for those who are coming. And that's the thing I'm learning in all this. But I asked, I asked questions of God and he just simply didn't give me the details. And he's doing this in your life. He's doing it in Manoah's life. Perhaps because the details would scare you. Or perhaps there's something bigger and I think this is the priority. God wants to know, will you walk with me? Will you, will you go where I send you? Will you go not knowing all the steps? You're not ready for all the steps. I've actually got to prepare you for the steps along the journey. You're not ready for them all. I'm not the pastor I was eight years ago and you should be thankful for that. I'm not the man I was 10 years ago. I wasn't ready to do what I'm doing now 10 years ago. I wasn't. I wasn't ready to be the father I am now 10 years ago. And at every step, God is showing me. And, and some of it comes with sacrifice. Some of it comes with pain. Some of it comes with joy. Some, there's a mixture of what God is doing. And he's answering my prayers, but they often don't go the way I thought. And he doesn't give me all the details. But here's one thing I know for sure. And this I, I can tell you confidently. He tells Manoah and his wife to do something. And they do it. He's perhaps told a lot of you to do something. And you keep coming back. God, I need a fresh word. God, I want the details. God, I want to know more. And you have not started on the thing he's told you. I wonder if he is patient. <laughs> I know he is. I wonder if he's pausing to see, will Jonathan take the first step on the thing I just told him the thing I told him five years ago, the thing I told him a while ago, will he take the first step? That's what we do see at least in these two parents as they begin to follow God. They're fearful, they're trembling, they don't know what it means, but do the thing he's already told you. God builds your trust often by withholding the details. Do you wonder whether God hears? He hears. He absolutely hears you. Are you obedient to what you already know? Here's the third. The third and last revelation of God here. He is the God who answers us. He's the God who answers us. I love what he says to Manoah here. I haven't mentioned this yet, but this angel of the Lord 
is by many commentators considered a Christophany. A Christophany, this is a word that means a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. This is thought to have happened several times in the Old Testament where Christ himself appears prior to the the immaculate birth of, of the New Testament. Here, the way, if you look at, just look at every time the angel of the Lord speaks. First of all, he's called the angel of the Lord. He speaks with authority, not as a messenger. He speaks as God himself. But this indicator right here in verse 17, 18, this little spot is too good. It's just too good. Manoah says, what's your name so that we can honor you? Technically, he's actually asked the right question because it is this. If this is, in fact, a Christophany, he's the one that should be honored. And the angel responds, who might be Jesus himself, likely is, what is your name? He says, why do you ask that? Because it's too wonderful. Now, the word, the word here in the Hebrew actually means, it's the, word, the root word is paolal, which literally means extraordinary or incomprehensible. This is a name above all names. This is a name beyond this is a name like Yahweh, I am that I am. Go and tell the people, I am sent you. That's a weird thing to say, God. His, his, God, his name is beyond. For the Hebrew people, that, that word Yahweh didn't have vowels. It was called the tetragrammaton. It's, it's a word that they re- wouldn't say out loud. They would say Adonai or Elohim in, in response to that name. It was so holy. We actually don't technically even know if it's pronounced Yahweh. That's what we've said in the English. He says, what's your name? <laughs> you can't say it. Manoah, I would tell you, you can't say it. It's too good. It's too wonderful. The word Paulaw is the same word that, that God gives to Isaiah to describe something we're very familiar with. Isaiah chapter 9, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a, a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Paulaw. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I've heard people say that the Bible, you know, isn't well connected. I would say that's insanity. This thing, God was, God was careful in his penmanship. It tells a grand narrative, and God is giving us Easter eggs all throughout. Here I am. Here I am. Savior's coming. You're going to see Samson, but he's just a glimpse. He's a glimpse of the prayer that I'm answering that you didn't even ask. The prayer that I'm answering, that the oppression of sin and death is on your life, and you didn't even know it, and I send a Savior anyway. His name is Paulal. Wonderful. It's wonderful. Manoah then hears this. He, he hears this from the angel. He's beginning to go, okay, this something weird's going on here. They do the, they do the burnt offering and all of a sudden, the, the angel could have disappeared in so many different ways. That's just God being cool. That's just God doing something to go, Manoah, I'm going to make you get this. And he goes up with the flame. It kind of fits the characteristics of the angelic host, really, that they're often described as, fl- as flame, as fire. He goes up with the fire. And then he finally gets it. Wait a minute. In fact, he goes a step further. We've seen God. We're going to die. Now, I'm not sure exactly where he gets that impression. I don't know if that's the culture around him. You know, anytime you've seen a God, death is following. But the wife understands full well. You know, the Lord has given us a great word. He's not going to take us out. He's going to see this thing through. And they they named this boy Samson, which is a fun name. Sam means 
Sun, sunlight. They named him Sunny Boy. He's my little sunshine. I sing that to my daughter every night when, they, when she goes to bed. You are my sunshine. Samson, my little sunlight. The one that God gave us. What a great name. And he comes and he rules for, for many years. He's an odd character. I can't wait to get into that next week. He does some phenomenal things and some absolutely insane things. And God uses him in a way. The Lord will answer those who call upon him. Psalm 91, it says, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Look, there is power in the name of Jesus. John chapter 14, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, some have, some have kind of looked at that and gone some weird ways with it. But here's what, we, here's what we see. There's qualifiers here that are very important. The things you ask that glorify the Father, he will give. Flat out. What are those kind of things? Well, I can tell you a few of them should be obvious. You know what God wants? He wants your neighbors to come to Christ. You know what God wants? He wants your coworkers to come to Christ, your family. He wants your kids to grow up in the, in the faith. These are things you ask of God, and he desires for you, and he will be glorified in them. Anything you ask in my name, I will do it. Okay. So what is the will? What is your desire for me? When I start asking that question, like Manoah, this is where he gets it right. Not, God, I want this, this, and this. God, I want it to go. No, God, how would you like me to face today? God, how would you like me to minister to my neighbors? God, how do you see me parenting? I know I'm missing the mark. In Jesus' name, do it in me. That you may be glorified. I love this story, and I want to end with this. This is in Matthew chapter 7. We see Jesus teaching, as he often did. In verse 9, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So when you're asking, and maybe you're not hearing an answer just yet, but trust this. Trust the Word of God where it says, He who calls upon me, I will answer. He who is in trouble, I will deliver. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified. If you ask, Lord, take care of me. I'm in, I'm, I'm in a broken place. Help me come through this. He hears you and he intends to answer. And perhaps if there is a delay, there is something he is teaching. There is something he is working on. And so even in those moments, I come back to him in prayer and say, I know, you, I know you've heard my cries. I know you've heard my cries for help. But I also know you're delaying. God, would you show me what you're doing in that? Because there's a reason. It, this, this sermon, this idea about prayer, about God who sees, who hears, who answers, has everything to do with reshaping the way you think about God. Is he truly, truly good in every way? I believe so. Is he truly omnipotent in every way? I believe so. Is he omniscient? Absolutely. All of these characteristics are true about God. 
So if he is patient in answering, he has a reason. And it's better than I am aware. Even in my heartache, even in my season of trouble, if there's a delay, it's because God wants something better for me than I've asked. And he's teaching me something in that patience. And that's hard, I know, friends. I, I, I understand that that is difficult. But that's us getting behind knowing God because he cares more about, more about me becoming like Christ. He cares more about me imitating the Savior. He cares more about my character than the things that go well, my comfort. He cares so much more about what I'm becoming. God didn't answer Manoah. Not in the way he wanted, but he gave him even better answers. The better answers were this. God revealed himself to Manoah. Even better than, oh, what's my son going to be? No, I'm not going to answer all that. Instead, I'm going to tell you that my name is wonderful and I'm going to go up in the fire. I'm going to reveal myself to you that you'll go, okay, God, I don't know what in the world this boy is going to do. To be fair, the Bible's really clear. It says the angel never comes back. I don't know if they asked again. But it says he never returns to Manoah and his wife. But here's what they know for sure. God told us to do something. And we're going to do it. And Samson is a hot mess, y'all. But his parents, his parents followed to the best of their ability what God had told them. And God's going to use this boy in a mighty way, sometimes in a strange way. God sees us. God hears us. God answers us. His ultimate answer and the joy of this story is that it points to his ultimate answer, Jesus, the Savior. That's why I believe, that's why this birth story is in the Bible. Because unlike every other judge we've seen, he gets a birth story. Because it's pointing to something. It doesn't want us to miss it. He's a broken Savior, an imperfect Savior. The real Savior has come later, though. Has come and has saved. The angel... All of it points to Jesus, the angel, the submissive, faithful woman, the promised birth of a son, the, 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 the growing in the spirit. All of this points to Jesus. Now, for all of the barren woman stories of the Bible, God only does one thing once, and that's the virgin story. He wanted to set that one apart, let's just be honest. That one's unique. You've got Hannah, you've got Sarah, you've got Hagar, you've got, you, you've got here this woman unnamed. There's all these barren stories. There's one virgin story, Mary. Jesus, the Savior that has been forecasted. The one that has come. So my friends, Jesus is the answer. What's in a name? It depends on the name. There's a lot in that name, Jesus. He's the only way by which we are saved. He hears us, he sees us, he's answered. Will you lean on him today? Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we ask that your, your message today, your word would be encouragement to your people. I, I can look out and I can already begin to think about who I'm seeing. I, I can even look in my own life and go, you know what? There's been some times, there's times lately even, Lord, where I struggle to hear you. Oftentimes I find with myself it's because I've gotten out of, out of the discipline of really being in your sanctuary. I'm, for me personally, it's often that I've, I've strayed. I've gotten distant. And if I would begin to form habits again, habits of communicating with you regularly in prayer, in your word, in worship, begin to refocus and see you 
You were never far. That's been my story. And I'm in one of those times now of refocus, Lord. And I, I thank you for the little glimpses you give me, the little insights. But your people today, some of them are going through great pain. Some of them are going through great struggle. Some of them have very few answers as to what to do next. And Lord, I just ask, would you encourage them now? Give them fresh eyes to see that, God, you are, you are observing. You are hearing. And you are answering. Even, even, even in the very, very small details you are beginning to answer. You are working things out. And even, even in, in those situations where the sickness doesn't go away, even in those situations where we struggle a little bit longer in our depression, even in those situations where that addiction we've been working on, it rears its ugly head, that temptation is back. Even in those times, you're doing little works, working on something more central to the heart of the problem. Even when we thought we did everything right in that relationship and that person still runs from us. And it's not just us, really. It's not even us that they're running from. They're running from you, God. In those moments, we trust you all the more. In those moments, we're asking God, would you hear us? Hear our cries for help and answer in the way that is best. Maybe we don't know what that is. What we've been praying, maybe it's incomplete, God, because you have a clearer vision. You see a hundred steps ahead, if not more, way more than we can see. God, you begin to answer. We lift those things up to you now. I pray for your people. If you're in the audience today, if you're, if you're listening in, please, those things that you desperately need him to hear you and answer you, lift them up again today. Lift them up now as I pray. Lord, hear me on these things. I know that you do. Would you answer and answer swiftly? I pray that I would get to see it, that I might glorify you in it. Rescue me from this. Rescue that person who has walked away from you. Help me through this time of temptation. Lord, hear me. And give me strength to face it. Lord, I know that is your desire for us. You are a good Savior. As Jesus promised, you are a God who gives greater gifts than we would even give to our children. If we know how to give good gifts, you are far better. And you want to give us some gifts for sure. The fruit of the Spirit. That we would have love. We would have joy, faith, patience, peace, self-control, faithfulness. These are the things you desire to pour out. God grant them now. In spite of our valleys, even on those times where things are great, Lord, that we would live out the fruit of the Spirit. We love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.